It's hard for us to uh, think of it maybe in terms of this. I I had to get out a calculator and and add this up for myself, but it's been about roughly uh, 105,000 weeks since Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. That's a long time. If we live 80 years, we have roughly 4,000 opportunities to meet together on the Lord's Day and to proclaim His death and His burial and His resurrection. Today is a day that is, well, similar to every Sunday for the child of God. From the very beginning, go back 100,000 weeks. And you know what the disciples of Jesus did on the first day of the week? They gathered together to break bread. They communed. They remembered the body and blood of Jesus that was given as a sacrifice on the cross, and uh, they proclaimed that. Now, a lot of time has passed. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 26 says that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, and that's just what we did a few moments ago, we proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And so this is a thing that we do, not only was it done 100,000 weeks ago by people just like you, it is still being practiced today by followers of Jesus. We are proclaiming to the world every first day of the week that we serve a risen Savior who will someday come again. But now the problem that we have and that mankind has is that we are often short-sighted And our memory is often um, very short-lived. Short-sightedness comes because we, we, we go through problems in life and we fail to see the promises of God that will see us through beyond those, those troubles. We see sickness, we see family problems, we see uh, occupational problems, we see health problems, and, and they, they can overwhelm us. But God has an answer to all those things. There will come a time if we can endure and persevere that all those problems will be a a distant memory in the past. But you see, our problem is we're short-sighted. We we can't see beyond the problem and and see the the eternal plan of God. So that, that is problematic. And even with reference to the coming of Jesus... It's been 100,000 weeks plus since Jesus rose from the grave. That's a long time to wait for His promise coming. In fact, merely 30 years after, there were people, skeptics in the days of Peter, who said, where is the promise of the coming of this one that you serve? They were scoffers, laughing at Christians who were waiting for the return of Jesus but uh, he, he was coming. And another problem that we have is that we, we forget past events that give meaning for us today. And I think that that may be true with reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. People forget and they're plagued by short memories as well as um, short-sightedness concerning the promises that we have and what's been done for us that makes those promises a surety. 
Now, I'd like for just to go back and uh, an illustration that I once heard that I think helps us to um, maybe see the problem that we have with, with regard to the resurrection, the death of Jesus. In 1815, the Battle of Waterloo took place. Napoleon gathered his French forces and they went up against the Duke of Wellington in the Netherlands and and they had the support of the British troops and so forth and they had this battle at Waterloo. And the outcome of the battle was to be relayed throughout Britain by men standing on hilltops and they would relay to another man on another hill and then he to another hill and, and on and on it would pass and news would spread throughout Britain as concerning the outcome of that battle. Well, as you know, the Duke of Wellington defeated Napoleon at Waterloo. And so the message began to be sent. It said, the first message, Wellington. And that was passed from hill to hill to hill all throughout Britain. The next word that was passed was defeated. And that was passed from hill to hill all throughout Britain. And then a fog rolled in. And no more messages could be sent. And so the only message that the people in Great Britain had at that time was Wellington defeated. And it caused a great deal of consternation among the people of Britain because they thought that that they had lost the battle. But when the fog lifted, there were two more words that were able to be sent. And those words were the enemy. And then there was great rejoicing in Britain. What they thought was defeat ended up being victory. There was just a little lapse of time before they understood that. And if that doesn't aptly describe what happened to the disciples of Jesus in the first century, I don't know how better to to illustrate it. You see, there were events that took place on Friday that looked surely like Jesus and his followers were defeated. But the story wasn't over. The fog hadn't lifted because Sunday was coming and the rest of the message would be told on that day. And so what I'd like for us to do today is to just look at this story of resurrection and go back to Friday and try to imagine yourself as a disciple of Jesus, as one of his followers, who is there present, and you're watching all of this from a safe distance, of course. You're watching all of this transpire, and you try to give meaning to this. And what, what would be, as you go home at the end of the day and pillow your head at night, what would be your thoughts concerning this one whom you had followed? It was Friday when Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. Do you remember when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane with, th- with three of his disciples and he said, wait here with me while I pray? And, and they were so tired and so weary that they, they fell asleep. Three times Jesus came back to wake them up. They, they couldn't even pray with Jesus as he is at a point, one of the lowest points, I suppose, in his life. The Bible says that he was under such stress and agony that he was to the point of death right there in the Garden of Gethsemane what he was having to endure. And he didn't want to go to the cross. No one would want that kind of a fate. He said, Father, remove this cup from me, but nevertheless not my will but thine be done. I'll do it if this is what I have to do, but if there's any other way, let's go that route. 
That's what the Lord prayed. That happened on a Friday. It was a Friday when Jesus was betrayed by Judas, one of his disciples, one of his apostles, for 30 pieces of silver. The prophet of the Old Testament, Zacharias, or Zechariah, prophesied concerning even the amount of this betrayal price. For 30 pieces of silver, a man who had worked with Jesus and walked with him for three years has sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. And then we know how guilt-laden he was, and he didn't even keep the money. He went out and committed suicide after this deed was done. But that that occurred on a Friday. It was a Friday when Jewish officials conspired to arrest Jesus under the cover of darkness. Jesus even said to them as they approached him in the Garden of Eden, or Garden of Gethsemane, uh, could you not have taken me during the day? Why, why are you getting here at night? I, I've not done anything behind, uh, you know, in the shadows. Come during the day and take me. Why come at night? It, it, he exposed the sinister nature of their, this proceeding that was about to take place. It was a Friday when Jesus was abandoned by his disciples. Matthew, and all these references are in Matthew's a gospel account, uh, verses 26 and following. But it was on a Friday when the disciples of Jesus, they fled. As this army of soldiers this, come to take Jesus and to arrest him, um, the disciples flee. Well, initially they don't because Peter took a sword and, and was ready to, to have it out with, with these men and actually cut off the ear of one of the opponents Jesus healed the ear and told Peter to put up your sword. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And I guess that flustered them. They didn't understand. They were bewildered. We're not going to defend ourselves. You're going to allow yourself to be taken and arrested. We're out of here. And they fled. One of the disciples even fled out of his clothing, out of his outer garment, as they grabbed a hold of him, and he just wiggled free just to get away. They wanted to be nowhere close to Jesus. It was a Friday when Jesus was examined by Annas and Caiaphas and Herod and Pilate in a bunch of illegitimate court sessions or trials that he had to endure. Shouldn't have been proceedings done at night and after dark. It shouldn't have been or shouldn't have been allowed to have trumped-up charges brought against him. The the illegalities of this this proceeding uh, are many. But that all happened on a Friday. It was Friday when Peter denied Jesus. As he was taken and arrested, Peter was standing afar off and, and watched what was taking place from a safe distance. But that safe distance put him in the camp of the enemy. And one of the girls there said, I know you. You're one of his followers. I've seen you with him. And Peter began to curse and swear and say, I don't know the man. According to Luke's account, Jesus, after Peter says that, looked across the way and he met eyes with Peter. They look at each other. And Peter is ridden with guilt and runs out and weeps bitterly. But imagine what Jesus must have felt like as his friends betray him. Those who have said, I will die before I betray you. They are the very ones who deny him. 
This all happened on a Friday. His followers have been scattered. What of this movement that he was trying to begin? What of this new religion that he was trying to instigate? It seems to have failed. It was on a Friday when the multitudes cried out and said, Crucify him. Uh, I can't hardly imagine, it seems hard to imagine, people being so angry at somebody. Not, oh, I can maybe with certain individuals why they would cry out for the blood of that person. But in the case of Jesus, he had never done anything wrong. He went about from town to town healing people, casting out demons, causing the lame to walk and the blind to see and the the mute to speak. He had brought people back to life. He had performed miracles. He had taught a message of love. I can't understand how people would cry out for his blood, but they did. The crowd was boisterous and And it was on a Friday that they released Barabbas, a known murderer, to go free and have Jesus pay the price, the death penalty. It was on a Friday that um, the soldiers mocked Jesus. They beat him. They weaved a crown of thorns that they put on his head, and they hit him in the face. They put a a robe, a a purple robe on him and mocked him as though he were some king. That all happened on a Friday. It was on a Friday when Jesus was led away to be crucified, having to carry his own cross. And I can't imagine, you know, whether it was just the cross beam or the entire cross, however it was historically that they did that. I can't imagine having been beaten to the point that he had been beaten uh, with the, the scourging that he endured and the night-long proceedings, and the beatings to, you know, with fists and all that that he endured, and being as beaten up to, to have to carry your own cross to your own crucifixion. It had to be painful, and it had to be humiliating. It was on a Friday that Jesus was stripped of his clothing and was a public humiliation, It was on a Friday when he was mocked and spat upon by passers-by. Can you imagine somebody spitting on you? People coming by spitting in your face. That happened on Friday. It was a Friday when Jesus said, it is finished. And he died on the cross. And it was on a Friday when they buried Jesus and sealed his tomb and put a guard up around the tomb to make sure that no one would remove his body because they had heard that he said that he would rise the third day. All of that happened on a Friday. And if you were one of his disciples and you didn't have the advantage of hindsight that we have today, what would you have been thinking? Would you have thought, all's lost and there's no hope? This guy I thought was going to be the Messiah. They, they took him and did what they wanted to do with him, and he had no power to stop anything. He just was murdered before my eyes. The one that I thought could do anything, I saw him taken and beaten 
and spit upon and crucified. And he was powerless. And he died. I saw the spear put in his side. I saw the blood and the water come forth. I saw them take his limp, dead body down off of the cross. And I saw them lay him in the tomb. He was dead. What would you think at that point if you were a disciple of Jesus? Would you go home discouraged, wondering, how did I get caught up in all this? How did I think that he was the one? How could I have been so wrong? In fact, in Luke's account, concerning the two men that Jesus walked on the road to Emmaus with, they were beside themselves, thinking, we thought he was the Messiah, and I don't know how we could have been so wrong. They were discouraged and troubled. But that all happened on Friday. You see, it's like that message that went forth from Waterloo. Wellington defeated, and then the fog rolls in, and you don't get the end of the message. On Friday, the story hadn't been fully told. There was a fog that rolled in, that death, that burial. But on Sunday, there's a different story. Because on Sunday, events transpired that give meaning to what happened on Friday. It didn't end with Wellington defeated. It ends with Wellington defeated the enemy. And it didn't end with Jesus dying on the cross at the hands of his enemies. It ends on Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead. It was on Sunday that Jesus raised up from death and raised up from that tomb. He said Hades, the gates of Hades, would not prevail against him. He had a mission. The Bible says he's portrayed in the book of Revelation as the one who holds the keys to death and Hades. You can't keep him dead. You can't keep him down. He has power over it. He has authority over it. And so on that Sunday morning when the women came to anoint his body and and continue the process of preparing his embalmment, they got to the tomb and he wasn't there. And they didn't know what, what had happened. They were excited. And they ran back to tell the disciples of what, had, what they had seen. And the disciples then ran to the tomb, Peter outrunning the others, and got there. And sure enough, he was gone. Imagine what you must have felt, or imagine what you would then feel if you were one of the disciples of Jesus. I remember him saying, that he would not, that death would not keep him, that he would raise again. I remember him saying that he must go to Jerusalem to die, but that wouldn't be an end, that he would raise again. I remember that. I didn't think it possible, but he's gone. And they must have gathered together, which they did. And he must have been the topic of conversation. And this risen Savior appears to his disciples. And he says, guys, come over here and stick your hands in these wounds. You don't think it's me? Let me show you it's me. Stick your hands. Stick your hand here in the side. And they do. And the text says they were glad. I can't imagine the joy and the change of demeanor and disposition those men must have experienced when 
Jesus is standing in the presence again. How amazed do you think they must have been? Oh, they had seen him heal others. And so no doubt they had some belief that he was able, but when they saw Friday, it was just too overwhelming to believe. He, he was defeated, but here he is standing in their midst, arisen from the tomb, and they are filled with excitement. Imagine the joy, how nothing can stop you. This all happened on Sunday. And so that's what gives hope, and that's why we gather together here today to commemorate, to remember what Jesus did on that Sunday many, many years ago, over 100,000 weeks ago. This is what happened to Jesus. But the story doesn't end here either. Because I want us to not only look and consider what happened on Friday and then what happened on Sunday, but I want us to consider what finally happened on Monday. What happens on Monday? What happens after you realize that Jesus has risen again, that he was who he said he was, that he is indeed the Son of God? What do you do on Monday in light of that information? Do you keep it to yourself? Or do you proclaim that message? Do you live for Him or do you live for yourself? There's no more question as to whether or not He really was who He was because on Friday it didn't look like it. On Sunday He proved He was. On Monday, what am I going to do? See, Monday's a day of decision for us. Friday and Sunday provide for us the evidence that He was indeed the Son of God. It is the, it is the crowning proof of the deity of Jesus, of all of his claims. And so Monday's now. And we live in Monday, folks. All these things happened Friday and Saturday many years ago. It's Monday today in this, this figure. And so what are we going to do on Monday? What will we li- how will we live? It, Monday is a day when, well, turn in your Bible with me to Titus chapter 2. And I want you to consider what the Apostle Paul said to Titus. Beginning in verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. You see, time has a way of causing the excitement and the joy to wear off. Like I said, it's been 100,000 plus weeks since Jesus rose from the dead. The passing of time causes us on this Monday to forget what happened on Sunday many years ago. We live after the resurrection 
But what we need to remember is that by considering the past and all the things that have been revealed, the truthfulness of those things, it removes the mundane. I need to remember that this isn't just a story. This is, this is a fact. This isn't just a myth that has been perpetrated by his disciples. There are undeniable, irrefutable evidences concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And had it been all a farce, do you not think someone would have said that, would have proved it, would have presented the body, would have denied? There's, there's no other explanation. He rose. And so in light of that, how should we live today? Well, Paul told Titus, live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world because he has saved you. He's forgiven you of your sins. Through his resurrection, we have hope. And he's the first fruits of those who will also be resurrected. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave is the power that will rise that will raise us from the grave. Now there may be some who don't want to raise from the dead. They would rather just go out of existence, cease to be, never to raise again. But that will never happen. Jesus has guaranteed that we will raise and live forever somewhere. And so as we bring this lesson to a close, I don't want us to forget what happened on that Friday. But maybe just as important or more important, what happened on that Sunday over 100,000 weeks ago. Jesus looked forsaken and defeated, but he wasn't. He was the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And when the message, when the fog lifted and the message finally became clear, we have a decision to make. Will we deny it? Will we go our way and live as we want? Or will we be filled with excitement because we serve a risen Savior? I hope that uh, as we live in this Monday that we will do so to the glory of God and do our part in spreading this message of salvation the good news of a resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died for us, he was buried, he rose for us so that we might live for him. If you're here this morning and you've not yet given your life to Jesus, if you have not yet been moved by what took place 100,000 weeks ago, why don't you reenact what he endured on that Sunday? He died... And he was buried and he rose again. And Romans chapter 6 calls us to do the same thing. Only in a form of a reenactment. We die to our sins. We are buried with Christ in baptism. And we rise to walk in newness of life. If you haven't done that, do that this morning. We'll assist you in that. If you're already a child of God but unfaithful and you haven't been 
living for him in view of what happened. Maybe the years have caused what is spectacular to have become mundane to you and ordinary. Refresh your memory. Go back and think from the standpoint of one of those first century disciples what it must have been like. And live in this Monday with renewed zeal and appreciation for what he's done for you. If we can pray with you to the end that you be stronger, more faithful, uh, let us do so as we stand together and sing.